Well, today we want to continue our uh, study uh, in Acts, uh, and we're in uh, chapter uh, chapter ten. And I can tell that um, we uh, we're only going to get to a small part of it uh, today, and uh, that's okay. You know, one of the things that doesn't go anywhere is uh, the Word of God. And, and the great thing about teaching through the Bible is that if you don't get to it this week, you get to it next week. You, you know what I mean? Uh, and so that's, uh, that's important. Yes, uh, you know, in our uh, now that we're in the month of Elul, we're reading Psalm 27. And so, in Psalm, so Psalm 27 takes a little bit of time. Uh, for us to read, and then uh, all the uh, all the additional commentary, right? As we uh, read all these uh, different great passages of the Bible, and all. In fact, the, the whole service kind of adds up to one big message, right? <laughs> Hopefully, of uh, faithfulness uh, in the Lord, and uh, not just um, a bunch of disjointed parts, but it's kind of all going somewhere. You know, we do indeed work on that. Okay, so here we are in Acts chapter 10. Now, as you can tell, and as we've mentioned, you know, after the first six chapters of Acts, the first six chapters, when you read the first six chapters carefully, if that's all there was, you would get the idea that the only difference between the Messiah followers and uh, the rest of the Jewish community was believing in Yeshua, that there was, that, there was no... You know, it was uh, just all about the, the message of Yeshua. But once we uh, enter chapter 7 and chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and following, we see that uh, the, uh, the message, uh, it's not only just the, uh, the message of Yeshua, but it's who it's going to becomes very relevant. Uh, you know, the, who, who the apostles and others are bringing the message to. Uh, becomes relevant, and it raises issues uh, about the nature of uh, the new covenant, of the, of the message. And it moves from being just about uh, that Yeshua died for our sins and he rose from the dead, and, and there's no other name un, un, under heaven, but the fact that we see that Hellenized Jews and, and uh, other people, uh, from we, re we read about a Samaritan, we read about an Ethiopian, uh, you, you know, we, we read about Jews in Syria and uh, uh, Hellenistic Jews and, and all that. So, so we see that the, the message is moving outside of the bounds of the Jerusalem and Judea, but to also to Samaria uh, and to the remotest part of the earth. Now, uh, when we come to chapter 10, chapter 10 is a very defining place. Uh, in uh, in the book of Acts, because even though we read about Philip talking to an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, and even though uh, we read about a Samaritan, what we read about in chapter 10 is one of the foremost of apostles uh, uh, bringing the message of Messiah to a, a, a Gentile person who is in the military, who is uh, uh, someone uh, who is, we can just say on, on a particular level, 
a Roman military leader, even though he's not the, he's not the head of the entire, you know, uh, Roman army, but he does have a stature in the Roman, uh, you know, in the Roman culture and in the Roman world. Uh, and uh, uh, some have referred to chapter 10 as the, the Gentile Pentecost, uh, you know, where, where the, the message really begins to key on the, uh, on the Romans and, uh, and others. Because this, this event, first of all, the length of it is kind of interesting. This story of Peter bringing the good news to Cornelius and his family takes up a chapter and a half. That tells you something in and of itself, that to Luke, this was really important. And we will see that things begin to change after this, especially uh, in chapter 13, which is another very pivotal uh, uh, chapter uh, in the message going to the, uh, to the Gentiles. So in chapter 10, we want to learn about Cornelius and about uh, uh, what it was like for uh, Peter to be challenged uh, with going um, uh, to uh, Cornelius' home, that this was no small thing. And then, of course, some lessons, indeed, that we can learn uh, for ourselves. So let's begin reading, and we'll see uh, how far we get here. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius. Uh, you know, I'm going to stop right there. Caesarea. Now, this is important. Caesarea is not Jerusalem. You know, a Caesarea was really a, um, a Roman, for all intents and purposes, a Roman city. Uh, it was uh, uh, a place known uh, for, uh, it, you know, in antiquity, long before even uh, the first century, uh, Caesarea uh, was inhabited by Sidonians, right? By Egyptians. Uh, and then when Herod became uh, the uh, governor, one might say, uh, under Roman tutelage, uh, he uh, um, uh, built uh, a seaport, a magnificent seaport and other edifices that, uh, uh, that showed his allegiance to Rome, that showed his allegiance to Rome. Uh, and so it was known uh, as... Uh, really a, a Roman stronghold. There's a lot of things we could say about it, but let's just call it a Roman stronghold. There were some Jews. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's interesting that this is Caesarea. Now today, where is Caesarea? Caesarea is in between Tel Aviv and Haifa, uh, but closer to Tel Aviv, okay? And north of it, right? Right there on the, uh, right, right there on the coast and, uh, and so on. And uh, not only uh, is, today is it a, um, you know, a place you want to visit to understand about Herod, it is actually uh, today, Caesarea, as it's called in Hebrew, uh, is a, um, um, it's a very nice place to live, <laughs> actually. A very nice, a very nice place to live. So it's a it's a it's a uh, you know it's a city today that that uh, that people live in. But uh, at that time, it was known to be uh, you know a Roman stronghold. So geographically, this is making a point. 
you know, that we're talking about going to a Roman stronghold. Okay. A man named Cornelius, a centurion, right? He's a centurion. So we would say, uh, you know, he's not a shlemiel, right? Uh, you can look that up, all right? Uh, you know, he was a military, uh, he was a military, uh, a military leader. Uh, and so I'm just going to read something to you from the Anchor uh, Bible Dictionary, just a little bit here. It says, Cornelius is a centurion, a commander of one of the six units of 100 men within a cohort. A cohort would have been about 600 members and would have been part of a legion of about 6,000 men, which was the main division of the Roman army. He would have served under a, a, a tri tribune. Uh, and uh, uh, it just goes to show you, it's actually... Um, yeah, there's another little statement from uh, an ancient historian. Centurions were to be men who were good leaders of steady and prudent mind. Now, Cornelius's unit has a name. It's called the Italian cohort, the Italian cohort, okay? And it's probably an auxiliary force, not part of the regular army. So there you go. There's a little bit about, about that. The point for us here. Is is that he was he was somebody who was known uh, in a, in a very interesting way, and we'll see how he's described uh, here. So we see how he is described in terms of being a Roman. All right, but now it says in verse two, a devout man and one who feared God. So he's called devout and a man who feared God, right? Uh, with all his household, and gave many alms to Jewish people and prayed to God continual, continuously. Now it's going to repeat this that he did good and uh, you know and about you know fearing God and so on. So he was a devout man and a man who feared God. Now uh, he is uh, not a proselyte. He is not someone who is a Gentile who, um, for all intents and purposes, becomes Jewish. Like the Ethiopian eunuch. You notice with the Ethiopian eunuch, he went, actually, he was on his way to the temple, right? You don't, that, that is not uh, Cornelius. Cornelius would be sort of a person who has an affinity for the Jewish people, who shows kindness uh, to the Jewish people, uh, sort of one foot in the uh, temple, another foot outside of the temple, you, you, you might say. But he had an affinity to the God of, uh, of Israel. And then it says, uh, you know, he gave alms to the Jewish people, offerings, contributions. And you know what I find fascinating? And uh, uh, if there were no chapter divisions here, there were no chapter divisions, another point we could make about this section is not just that uh, uh, about uh, Cornelius being uh, part of the Roman army uh, and a Gentile and what's going to happen to him, but the fact that he uh, gives alms to the poor. Because if you go up into chapter 9, uh, uh, you know, and you have um, Peter uh, uh, at uh, Joppa, it says there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, right, who translated into Greek, her name is Dorcas, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, 
which she uh, continually did. So it's kind of interesting that Luke puts next to each other this woman in Joppa and Cornelius, and there's something that they have in common, uh, this uh, char charity, being uh, generous. And uh, just, you know what it, it tells us? It, it doesn't tell us that people pay their way into heaven or anything like that, but it just tells us the value of chesed and tzedakah. Uh, the chesed of giving. That's sort of like a definition of faithfulness. But what's interesting is that even though uh, Tabitha was known as a woman of chesed and tzedakah, and uh, Cornelius, of all things, uh, this leader of, the, of an Italian cohort is known for tzedakah toward Israel, uh, they both needed Yeshua, right? They, they needed Yeshua. Uh, and, uh, and so that's very important. Uh, we could say, uh, oh, well, uh, Tabitha, she was a, a woman who practiced chesed and tzedakah. What else did she need, right? Or you could say about uh, Cornelius. What a wonderful man. He's devout. He feared the God of Israel. He was generous. He prayed to the God of Israel. What more does he need? The answer in the text is Yeshua for the forgiveness of sins. And that becomes quite clear uh, in, in, the, in the text. So Luke is bringing out uh, a number of very important things. All right. So in the first two verses, we learn a lot about Cornelius. He was an interesting man. He, here he is. He's a Gentile. He is uh, an authority figure, yet has shown great kindness uh, to Israel. One of the things we see about the Lord is he eases the new the new covenant way in very gently. You, you know what I mean? I mean, we have not yet gotten to Gentiles who had no relationship at all to anything uh, a Jewish coming to faith. That's coming in, in, uh, in about uh, three chapters, uh, which is a very interesting story. But here uh, uh, we see Cornelius at least has an affinity to the God of Israel, but a big point is being made. And uh, one of the other things that we're, that we're going to learn here is, is that even though he was devout and even though he feared God without all his household, and only, even though he gave alms to the Jewish people, and even though he, uh, he prayed to God continuously, he was not Jewish. And this was a big deal to Peter, okay, uh, and to Cornelius. And we cannot lose sight of that, even though... Uh, he was a God-fearer, that even though he was a God-fearer, he was someone who was not Jewish. And, uh, the, you know, the understanding in late Second Temple Judaism is that if you were not Jewish, first of all, you were like forbidden. You were like forbidden. Now, that's not the Torah. That's basically Jewish life in the late Second Temple period, right? Uh, you, you, don't eat with, you don't eat with Gentiles. You, you don't have to do with them, Right. Uh, it, unless they should become a proselyte. Here is a different story. And this man lives in, of all places, Caesarea. Okay. So now it says, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? 
And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Okay, now here's something interesting is that it's not only Peter who has to receive divine revelation about going to uh, uh, Caesarea to interact with Cornelius. But Cornelius needs divine intervention in order to even think that he could ask Peter to come to Caesarea. So isn't that interesting? And it isn't, uh, you know, it isn't because Cornelius has uh, someone uh, that he needs help with. No, here he prays to God and God, and, and what we read is, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I, in other words, Cornelius, God sees the kind of mensch that you are. God sees the kind of man that you are. Uh, and so here's what I want you to do. <laughs> okay? And so this was something that was a surprise to Cornelius as much as it's going to be a surprise to Peter. Kind of interesting. So now here's uh, what Cornelius is told to do. Supernaturally, by divine revelation. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Shimon, uh, who is also called Peter. Now, probably the reason it says who is also called Peter is not to confuse him with the tanner. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if he called for Peter and the tanner shows up in Caesarea? Whoops, wait a minute. Wrong Shimon, right? Make sure you got the right one. Right. So he is staying with a certain tanner named Shimon right? Uh, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in uh, constant attendance with him. Interesting, the people that go, right? Uh, uh, two servants and a devout soldier who knew, who understood what was happening, basically. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Java. And on the next day, they were on their way and approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Okay. So here, God has spoken to the heart of Cornelius about sending for the Jewish man, Peter, to come, which was forbidden. And now, Peter, in order to be able to receive this information, he needs to receive divine uh, revelation. Okay? All right. We're going to just go a little bit farther here. All right. Uh, so it says uh, uh, it was the sixth hour, uh, and he went to pray. He became hungry and was desiring to eat. Okay? But while they were making preparation, he fell into a, uh, he fell into a trance. You know, I changed my mind. I think what we're going to do is we're going to save this for next week. Because uh, in order for me to give a proper, I don't want you to go away, God forbid, thinking the wrong thing about this. So uh, we'll save that part for next week. So what we understand uh, right now is that God was working in the heart of this Roman centurion. Okay. It's not like he was just going about his business uh, and 
he, uh, uh, um, uh, and, and Peter shows up and preaches to him. But God was doing a work in the heart of Cornelius. So I guess the lesson for us just at the beginning of this is that nobody is out of bounds, you know, when it comes to knowing the Lord. We will see in future chapters, actually, people that we would even less expect than Cornelius. But here, quite clearly, uh, God is doing a work, and it is the beginning, really, of what we might call the mission to the uh, uh, Gentiles. And God is doing a work in the heart of Cornelius. And so we may know people in, uh, in authoritative positions. We know, may know people that that we uh, would love, uh, you know, to, to know the Lord, whether they are people who are um, have an affinity uh, to things of God or not. Uh, but God works in the hearts of all kinds of people, and he allows us to participate. And that's what we're going to see, is that Peter uh, was allowed to participate in this great work that God was doing in the heart of this uh, Gentile Roman uh, centurion. Uh, and so it just goes to show us how important it is for us to be praying uh, for, uh, for people in authority, you know, to, uh, to know uh, the Lord. So what we're going to be seeing here is how God works in the heart of Peter, God works in the heart of Cornelius, and then a little bit later on, very interestingly, we have the, what Peter says to Cornelius, uh, which is a great message uh, that uh, we certainly need uh, to hear today. So uh, as we approach, uh, as we approach Rosh Hashanah, I may uh, you know we take this to heart uh, uh, of who Yeshua is and and what he does. So let's pray. And, uh, and then we'll continue. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you worked in the heart of Cornelius. Thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, you cared about him, God, and that it wasn't as if Peter was chomping at the bit to go to him, but uh, you made that connection. You made that happen, Lord. And may we realize that, that uh, perhaps, Lord, when we come into, when, when we uh, make the most of every opportunity, when we maximize opportunities and we're always like ready, uh, that you bring us into the paths of people maybe that we might least expect. And uh, Lord, may we consider it a divine appointment. Lord, may we realize that perhaps you're working in the heart of a person that we're talking to already, uh, but that you have brought us to that person's life in order to uh, uh, bring clarification to the, to the good news. There are no coincidences. And so just like here, Lord, may you use us, God, in unexpected ways and circumstances to bring the message of Yeshua to others. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.